and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us. It's a little early in the season, but we're going to talk a little about soybean aphids today and soybean insects in general. If you've got any questions for us, just call us here at the Morton studio, 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. You can also email us, radio at agphd.com, or send us a note on Twitter, agphdmedia, Darren Hefty, or Brian Hefty. All right, uh, so to begin the show today, I would just really encourage you, be scouting your fields. As I've been out walking in our fields, I, 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 let, let's put it this way. It seems like as farmers, we always notice the bad stuff, don't we? It's very rare when I get calls from farmers and they say, well, uh, here, here are all the great things that are going on in my fields right now. It's always, I got this weed issue. Here's this bug problem. I have a disease challenge that I want to solve, whatever it is. The point is, you're going to notice some good, but you're probably going to really notice the bad things that are happening in your field right now. It might be in a small amount of acres, but nevertheless, if you find out what's going on, figure it out. Most problems in your fields can be solved. Most things are under your control, and I realize the weather is not one of those. So you can't control how much sunlight you get. You, I mean, unless you have irrigation, you can't control the rainfall, and you certainly can't control the wind. So all those things already have impacted our crop, and like in our area, we've had three record high days in the first eight days of June. Three in the first eight. Now, <laughs> as I go back... All winter long, I was just telling people, you know, it's been so unbelievably cold and wet for the last two years. I, I'm not going to predict drought. We can't have a drought because we have so much subsoil moisture. But I said, I'll bet you this is a, a hot and drier year. And sure enough, so far this spring, it has been warm and it has definitely been dry in our area. And now we're getting this record heat. So even today, it was supposed to be like 73 for a high today, which would be our average, our normal average. Well, it's well into the 80s already. So anyway, here's the point. Be out in your fields and don't worry so much about, yep, it's hot or it's a little dry or whatever. Let's focus on all the things that we can control. We can control nutrients. We can control weeds. We can control diseases. And we definitely can control insects like our main topic today, which is soybean aphids. Now, soybean aphids is a great example of an insect where you should not get misled by general things you hear in the media and even, for that matter, coming out from universities. There is no such thing as a standard threshold for any insect, any weed, any disease. There's no such thing as a standard threshold. What we really encourage you to do is use economics to base your decisions on. Don't just listen to, oh, a whole bunch of people are saying this. Eh, they're not right. So, for example, with soybean aphids, they'll tell you, people will tell you 250 aphids, that's the threshold. That's per plant. 250 aphids per plant. No way. That's absolutely wrong. I can promise you that's wrong. Now, don't please don't misunderstand. I'm not saying that in all cases, all these supposed experts out there are wrong, or even in the case of soybean aphids, that sometimes 250 may not be right. 
sometimes it's possible that it could be right. But what I'm getting at here is if the soybean price goes way down and your insecticide cost goes way up and you don't have much yield potential because you're right in the middle of a drought, let's hope that doesn't happen, but let's just say that it is, well, your threshold might be a thousand aphids per plant. Okay. But if you have the economics that we're looking at today and the treatment only costs $2, then I'm pulling the trigger on our farm at 20 aphids per plant, maybe 30, 50 at the worst. And here's the other thing you got to look at. With soybean aphids, there are going to be hot spots out in fields. So I would encourage you to not just stop by the edge of the road and look at five plants and go, well, doesn't look like I have much for aphids out here. Or on the flip side going, oh my goodness, it's an explosion of aphids. Um, that might be the hot spot. That might be the lightest spot. So with soybean aphids, what a lot of times happens is they'll drop into your field in a few different points or maybe just one point, and then they explode from there. The ideal temperature for soybean aphid reproduction is said to be 77 degrees. At 77 degrees, the numbers for soybean aphids will more than double every day. So literally, you could go from, hey, I only have 10 aphids in the field, to in just a couple of days, well, all of a sudden, that's 40. And in just a few days, you're over 1,000. So my point is, if you're if you at, let's call it in July sometime, you're starting to see some aphids, that's usually when they show up. If you're, if you're starting to see a few, I'd be scouting on a very regular basis. I'd be looking at my economics and I'd say, you know, if I'm already making a trip out there and all I have to do is throw in $2 worth of insecticide and I solve my problem over the next three weeks, is it worth it now to pull the trigger? And that's where I'm going with this. There's no way that threshold is 250 based on today's economics and a good yield. So what is the right threshold? I don't know what it is exactly, but I can just tell you I'm pulling the trigger real early and I'm especially going to do that when I don't have any additional application cost. And I think about how these things reproduce and oftentimes if you don't get after it on the early side, they just keep going. I just never understood it. I would talk to my dad when I was a kid and I'd hear about these thresholds and I was trying to understand what what do you mean? Do I have to let something eat 30% of my foliage off my plants on some of these bugs before I should spray? Why would I want to do that? And he talked to me about beneficial bugs and the cost of treatment and all this. And I thought it's got to be hurting me more than what people think to lose that much foliage and then every time the plant has a cut i thought about it like myself i would put neosporin on and i'd put a i'd wash it out and i'd put a bandage on and i'd think why doesn't the plant get an infection when it has a cut or or a, a feeding site like that that the bugs have been chewing on they do they do often get disease in those spots we see many diseases following soybean aphid infestations, one of them being charcoal root rot in our area at least. We're going to talk about soybean aphids on our show today and take your calls and questions as well. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Success isn't just about maintaining your operation, how you make out for the season, or how much you can get from each acre. It's about doing precisely what needs to be done to feed your crop, grow your legacy all the way down to the last drop agro liquid precision crop nutrition apply less expect more find a retailer at agroliquid.com 
When it comes to my weed control, I know a head start can go a long way. That's why I spray early, so I can keep control all season long with a Roundup Ready Extend Crop System, the system that makes the difference. This is my field. Choose the Roundup Ready Extend Crop System for control of more weeds than any other soybean system. Featuring Extendamax herbicide with vapor grip technology to manage tough-to-control weeds, including up to 14 days of soil activity, along with the field-proven performance of Roundup Ready to Extend soybeans. Now you have the right tools to extend your weed control and extend your yield with the system that makes the difference. Learn how you can put the system to work in your field when you visit RoundupReadyExtend.com. Extendamax is a restricted-use pesticide. Performance may vary. Always read and follow grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. Check local regulations for specific requirements in your state. Oh, my goodness. Did you see Bob's gorgeous soybean rows? Um, totally. I couldn't believe how clean, weed-free his entire field looked. I'm, like, so jealous. I heard he started using this new post-applied residual herbicide called Perpetual. And it's burned down and long-lasting residual powers making his soybeans like literally the talk of the town. Ah, so Perpetuo's is secret. Yep. Talk to your retailer or visit valent.com slash Perpetuo to learn more. Always read and follow label instructions. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. And we're talking about soybean aphids. Now, I know there's definitely been some things stealing the spotlight in soybeans, like the whole dicamba thing going on right now. We've got Tim Dahl with us right now with Syngenta. Tim's over in Minnesota. Hey, Tim, it sounds like dicamba is uh, back on, huh? Uh, I. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna leave that one alone. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? And this is one of the things we've gotten questions on about. Well, what about things like Tavium? You know, Tavium wasn't on that list of of products, and there are a lot of farmers talking about. Hey, well, I'm spraying Tavium anyway, so I'm in good spot. Right. Yeah. Yep. Tavium. You know, is, is our product in that offering, and uh, the nice thing about Tavium is it is a, a premix of, of two different products, and we really like the dual in that mix gives us more residual with the early planting you know we're getting it on a decent time it's a really nice nice option does a really nice job with weed control and it is still still um you know on the table and a a great product that we've been talking about for a couple years and so it's not like we just you know threw something out there it's it's something that dealers have in tanks and and um yeah, you know, really, really good product. It's had good, had good performance, no doubt about that. Unfortunately, we got to spray it a lot sooner than waiting for soybean aphids, which we were talking about today. You know, Minnesota, too, has gotten some headlines around the soybean aphids and around resistance issues. Uh, do you want to talk about that, Tim, and, and how widespread is that problem? Yeah, so um, we started seeing um, what, what the university has called some suspect populations, you know, back as early as 2015. Um, uh, a little more uh, research was done in 2016, 17, and again in 18, uh, a lot of it happened right out, um, you know, in, in the western part of Minnesota at Lambertson. And um, yeah, there, there's a population of aphids, and it's gone up in North Dakota and now over, you know, pretty close to, to you all as well. And it just uh, we're, we're seems like, uh, you know, with the pyrethroids, uh, uh, we're starting to lose a bit of control. Yeah, I think 
when we look at soybean aphids, there's just a lot of things that we need to look at. And, and I've talked to quite a few guys about pyrethroids and what rates they're using. And man, farmers are all over the board with how much they're using. You, you talk about a product like Warrior that I know you're really familiar with, Tim. And there are guys that are trying to save the last nickel when it's a, it's a very inexpensive product to start with. Running with a stronger rate it had been pretty effective on aphids. Yep, you're you're absolutely right. It, it's um, been effective, and again, you know, at those higher rates, um, still shows uh, pretty good control, really good control, and and you know, even the university uh, testing in western Minnesota, uh, those those plots um, that got a warrior treatment, you know, had some of the some some decent yields out there. The the really nice thing is that we've had a product that we've been focusing on for a couple of years now, the Indigo ZC. It's a, it's again a premix, and I keep talking about premixes, whether it's Tavium or other things. And the Indigo ZC is a premix of, uh, you know, that Warrior, and then the uh, another site of action, uh, a, a Neonic in there. It's the, uh, you know, another insecticide group, and um, does a really nice job. Gives us a little bit more residual as well. And uh, in the university trials, has had, you know, one of the if not the lowest uh, aphid day. Um, you know, the cumulative amount of aphids out there and really good yield. So really exciting product. Now we talk, we're talking about soybean aphids on today's program. We're talking with Tim Dahl with Syngenta. He works over in Minnesota. So I had to give him a little hard time on the, the dicamba and talk about that whole situation. Nobody in this industry wants to talk about dicamba right now. But uh, but I, I'm sorry about that, yeah. Tim. Didn't mean to blindside you that no. question. But really appreciate no. having you on. <laughs> Sorry, I tried to avoid that, but it's just it changes so fast. It yeah. Seems like from day to day that that you make a prediction or or something, and and it can change. But I really appreciate being on, and good luck uh, to all the farmers out there uh, uh, the rest of the summer here. Yeah, thanks, Tim. Really appreciate it. Uh, another guy based out of Minnesota is Dwayne Rathman with BASF. Dwayne, how are you today? I'm good. Good afternoon. You know, we're talking soybean aphids, and we're a little bit ahead of the game here. I think anyway. You haven't seen any aphids yet, have you? I have seen some, just you know, but we're uh, we're selectively going to edges of the fields where we, where we know that there's buckthorn. So we are seeing some early aphids come off of the buckthorn right now, onto the onto soybeans, even though they're only you know unifoliate, first trifoliate, very low numbers, but uh, they are they are moving into soybean fields slowly but surely. Is that a product of the heat that we've been receiving? Well, yes, it's uh, we we've had we've had good heat to uh, to to. To get them to move off the buckthorn, and uh, and you know we have we have their host. The soybeans are there. They're they're not big yet, but the soybeans are there. Their the soybeans are healthy, and that's what they're looking for. Now we were talking about some different modes of action, and you've certainly got an exciting product with Safina that's got a really nice profile in terms of being being pretty pretty safe around a lot of these beneficials. Can you talk a little about this new Safina product? Sure. So Safina is is a specific. Uh, insecticide for aphids. It's uh, as you said. It, it's a new mode of action, which is very unique. And and uh, so there's basically been three modes of action used for many years now in, in soybean aphid, and they all have their they all have their uh, issues. The the biggest one for for me in southern Minnesota is the amount of pyrethroid resistance we have, and pyrethroids are a pretty popular choice. So being this a different mode of action, it will control uh, aphids if they happen to be resistant to previous modes of action that have been used. Uh, secondly, it's, uh, 
you know, like you said, it's very easy to use. It's a, it's a unique product. It, it's not a restricted use product, which is very unique for, a, for an insecticide to begin with. And uh, the, the third thing, it not only controls aphids, but it's very gentle on pollinators. It's very gentle on predators. And that way you have Mother Nature working for you. You have, you have bees out there. You have, you have soybean uh, lady beetles out, out there. And you have parasitic wasps. So the things that Mother Nature uses to control the insect are, are working along with the insecticide. You know, I think this just brings to light the the need for scouting and scouting on a regular basis to see what's going on. We're talking with Dwayne Rathman here with BASF, and Dwayne said, already seeing a few aphids coming off that buckthorn and coming out into the edges of soybean fields. Nothing big yet, but, but just starting that process. And we're talking about Safina, and this is a new insecticide that's safer on pollinators, safer on predator bugs. And that's kind of a good thing. If we end up having to spray for aphids early, there's probably going to be another flush later on. And if we can leave those beneficials out there, I don't think anybody would argue, Dwayne. That's that's a good thing. Correct. Yeah. Right. Is is if if you use uh you know some other insecticide that would harm your uh, your predators, uh, you're almost sure that you know if if the aphids migrate back in, you're going to have another colonization and another need for an application. But but if you have uh, you leave lady beetles in the field and parasitic wasps with the, after the application, hopefully they're there to clean up what's left or or the few that migrate back in, uh, so that they don't colonize, so they don't build the big numbers, and require you to make a second application. Hey Dwayne, one other thing since since we got you on here, at the same time a lot of farmers are spraying insecticide. They like putting a fungicide out there at the same time, and 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 most of the farmers we talk to say, I don't know which is paying me more, the fungicide or insecticide, but it's been a good deal putting them together. Uh, what do you think about that practice, and and what's your recommendation? Yeah, well, that practice is fine. An insecticide for soybean aphids with a fungicide, is, as long as the timing is right for both products. Uh, you know, this this could be the year. <laughs> In the past several years, soybean aphids have really come late. You know, they've come late July, early August. And our optimum timing for fungicides is R3, which is usually the second or third week of July. So they don't, they don't always overlap. But this year with our early planting, we may well, we may well cross the uh, Across those two paths at the same time, the need for an insecticide, uh, the buildup of, of the in, insects in the field, as well as reaching that R3 stage. So, uh, you know, the early planting will have implications on that of, of potentially an earlier, definitely earlier scouting, as you said, and possibly earlier applications of uh, soybean aphid products. So, so they may overlap with the optimum timing for a fungicide. Well, thanks so much, Dwayne. Really appreciate having you on today talking about the new Safina. It's one of those things we'd encourage you as a farmer when we're talking about soybean aphids. Don't just push the easy button and say, well, whatever I did last year, I'll do the same thing. Take a look at some of these different products that are out there that, that may address some of the resistance issues going on and also try and uh, do, do the best job we can on these soybean aphids before they rob our yield. Thanks a lot, Dwayne. Really appreciate having you on. Sure. Thanks. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. You need a powerful herbicide to fight the war on weeds. 
Bellum is Rotam North America's Mesotrion herbicide, and it fights against the annual broadleaf weeds attacking your cornfields. Winning this battle means higher yields, lower cost to you, and maximized profitability. For long-lasting residual weed control, check out Evinco Vilify and our newest mix, Rixa. For application, flexibility, and season-long control, that's Evinco Vilify and Rixa, powered by Bellum. For more information, visit bellumherbicide.com. That's B-E-L-L-U-M herbicide.com. Stop losing money from your stored grain with the end zone fan control system from Farm Shop MFG. Hot spots and moisture in your bin can cost you thousands in lost revenue. The end zone monitors outside conditions to run your fans exactly when you want them to, naturally bringing your grain to ideal temperature and humidity. Master bin management with the end zone. For more information, visit farmshopmfg.com. Sound the foghorn because there's a better way to control frog eye leaf spot in your soybean fields. Froghorn fungicide from UPL. Froghorn not only has a unique name, it has two modes of action that deliver excellent disease control. With Froghorn, you get healthier soybeans and better yields at harvest time, and you won't be subject to strobe resistance. So get Froghorn and keep frog eye leaf spot quiet all season long. To learn more, talk to your retailer or UPL sales representative. Always read and follow label directions. Worried about glyphosate-resistant weeds and grasses in your corn? Unleash the power of new Impact-Z herbicide and get the early post-application advantage you've been waiting for. Save $3 per acre when you combine Impact-Z with a qualifying insecticide purchase. Go to buy2save3.com for details. Buy2Save3 is a service mark and Impact-Z is a trademark owned by AMVAC Chemical Corporation. All rights reserved. Impact-Z is a restricted-use pesticide. Always read and follow label instructions. Success isn't just about maintaining your operation, how you make out for the season, or how much you can get from each acre. It's about doing precisely what needs to be done to feed your crop and grow your legacy. All the way down to the last drop. Agroliquid Precision Crop Nutrition. Apply less, expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Wherever you go, whatever you're doing, whenever you want. Farm your way with Case IH AFS Connect. Now you can farm, share data, and manage your fleet however, whenever, and wherever you want. Learn more at caseih.com slash farmyourway. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. Taking your calls and questions all throughout the show at 844-44-AG-PHD. You can also email us, radio at agphd.com, or find us on Twitter, AgPhD Media, Brian Hefty or Darren Hefty. Okay, so to wrap things up on this whole soybean aphid talk, and I guess before we finish on soybean aphids too, I should mention please scout your fields on a regular basis. Look for harmful insects. If you don't know which insects are harmful and which ones aren't, then ask somebody. Ask an agronomist. Ask an entomologist. But, I mean, in this day and age when almost everybody is carrying around a phone that's also a camera, it's really easy to take a picture and send it to someone or several people and say, hey, what is this? Help me out here. 
Just do everything you can, obviously, to get a good picture and maybe even multiple angles so the bug can be properly identified. But let's say you figure out, okay, I got soybean aphids. What do you do? The first thing is you have to decide, all right, am I going to pull the trigger or not? And it's much, much, much easier if you're already going to be out there spraying a herbicide, a fungicide, a biological or natural, a foliar fertilizer. You're already out there in the field doing something. Or let's say you have irrigation. You can run a, a an insecticide through your your irrigator in a lot of cases too if it's above ground. Um, so if it's overhead irrigation... In most cases, that is approved, and you will be able to do that. As always, I encourage you follow the label for your area. But the products we're talking about typically cost two bucks an acre to control soybean aphids. So this would be like Mustang Max, Serpent, Kendo, Lambda, Asana, those kind of products. Now, if you want to invest a couple more dollars per acre, you could go with Bifenthrin or Brigade. That's slightly better on aphids. Not, not much different, but the big advantage is, at least in the Midwestern United States, we can also kill spider mites with the bifenthrin. Same thing with Lorsban. Now, the advantage to Lorsban over any pyrethroid is Lorsban has faster knockdown. With the pyrethroids, it's going to be a little bit slower. So this also frustrates me when people say, oh, wait until 250. No way. There's no possible chance I'm waiting that long in my farm. Because, in part, when you spray that pyrethroid, it doesn't instantly kill all those bugs, and they're still reproducing. So, literally, if it takes 24 hours, well, the number could double, so all of a sudden you went from 250 to 500. And also, you've had this feeding on the plants for a while. That's not good. Darren mentioned it earlier in the show, but very commonly we see better fungicide response when there are soybean aphids in a field just because of the damage that those aphids have done to the plants prior to you getting them under control. Also, I would say the residual with these insecticides is one to two weeks typically, but by the time the numbers build up again enough that you would need to spray, it's usually three to four weeks. So let's say you're out there the middle of July, that would be then the middle of August. We would encourage you to continue spraying if you have threshold levels, all the way until about R6. So, you know, once you've got full pod there, you're about done. And pretty soon after that, your beans are going to senesce, and then uh, it's all over with, so there's no point wasting your money. But you may need to spray twice, just keep scouting. I would also say the Neonic seed treatments, Gaucho, Poncho, Cruiser, anything in that Neonic family, they're good. We see suppression. Even though it may be two or three months later, we still see the numbers half or less. So in other words, if let's say it was untreated beans, you might have 250 aphids out there. You might only have 50 or 100 or 125 where the beans were treated. So it lessens the chance of needing to spray. And also, depending on who you're buying the treatment from, who, what seed company you're dealing with, uh, the, the stuff we're getting, we get up to two free resprays of insecticide if we reach threshold levels for aphids, bean leaf beetles, cutworms, and grasshoppers. So I'm getting free insecticide if I have to respray. Ask your seed dealer about that. On top of all this, other couple of questions we get. Number one is, how much water do I need? I don't really care. I'm not that worried about it. Seven gallons, 10 gallons, 15 gallons, whatever. It'll all work pretty well. 
the thing with soybean aphids is they move around to some degree. Now, some will have wings, many don't, but they are going to move somewhat on the plant. Yes, you want some halfway decent coverage, so you can't have enormous droplets in one gallon of water per acre and expect fantastic control. But I'm just trying to say the amount of water you use is not usually that big a deal. I mean, it would be for fungicide. So let's say you were spraying a fungicide out there. Well, then you have to have fantastic control, more water, more pressure, smaller droplets. That's super important for the fungicide. And it will give you maybe just slightly better control with the insecticide, but it, it's not going to be usually super, super noticeable. Okay, and then the other question we commonly get is, how early do I really have to spray? I would just say this, spray early, scout early, spray early, be on top of this thing, be ahead of it. Because here's the other thing that commonly happens. Let's say you're going to call in a plane or let's say you're, you are going to do it yourself. You go, well, I'm not quite at threshold or what I feel the threshold is today. So I'm going to wait two days. Now, maybe the weather forecasters in your area are better than I've seen lately in our area. But it seems like when they say rain, it's going to be dry and sunny. When they say it's going to be dry and sunny, it's raining. My point is this. You don't know what the weather is going to be two days from now, and all of a sudden it becomes five days later before you get to spray, and now you get a disaster on your hands and you lost a bunch of yield. So just be on the early side spraying almost anything. Anyway, with soybean aphids, they are, in my opinion, the worst insect we've got in the United States for soybeans. Now, in your area, there might be some other bug you think is worse, but in my region, soybean aphids are worse. Uh, they are the worst one. We absolutely have seen enormous yield losses from this bug, and it costs $2 to control it. So I just really encourage you, scout your fields, pull the trigger early, use um, one of these cheap pyrethroids, but if you want to bump up your control, you can go to Bifenthrin or Brigade. You could go to Lorsban if you want to and spend a couple more bucks an acre, and then you hopefully will get spider mites in addition to getting soybean aphids. All right, that's all I've got on soybean aphids. Let's get to the Ag PhD mailbag. It's the mailbag! All right, uh, first question comes from... Jeff in Minnesota. He's got two soil tests on the front page, two on the back page there, Brian. He said, I'm shooting for 300 bushel corn, 100 bushel soybeans, and I'm trying to push. I've been attending your soils clinics. I did soil samples here, as you can see. Looks to me like I've got low sulfur and low boron. What do you see as, as some things that would help me increase my yields? Okay, so Darren, Literally just handed That's this to me. That's how you like it, Brian. Well, I do, except for it's a it testing lab that I have, I, I am it's not, gotta, you just gotta find I've stuff heard of there. before, but I, have, I, I'm not familiar with where they put the stuff on it's the page. It's all there. It just takes a minute. Oh, just takes a minute to look so, at it. Okay. So here's yeah. some things. Now, one thing you'll notice is base saturation K, Brian. We're in the two to three percent range. And I, I would say, Jeff, from our experience, as we start getting higher yield levels, we need that to be a little bit higher, especially in heavier soils. His phosphorus is, a lot of it is around 40 or 50 Wait, parts stop. per million. On base saturation K, we want you to be at least four percent. And didn't he say 300 bushel corn? 300, 100, yep. Yeah. 300 bushel corn and especially 100 bushel beans, 
you're probably going to want to be at 6 or 7% base saturation K. It's going to cost some money, but the good news is it's not going to go anywhere. You put that potassium out there, and in your heavier soils, you're you're not going to have to worry about losing it. He's got 20, 22 CEC, so it's heavy soil, 24 CEC. It's heavy soil. He's in Minnesota. The ground's frozen half the year, so I, I would get the K out there. That will absolutely help you. Go ahead, Darren. What else are you going to say? All right. Then you look at the boron. A lot of that is in the 0.8 to 1 part per million range. We've found that we need a little more boron. And in heavy soils, we may need to even do some supplementing with foliar-type applications if we're out there doing some other things as well. And then on the sulfur, that's that's just super low. You, you definitely need a lot of sulfur yeah, there. Yeah, and then it, there are many things on here that are misleading. So, for example, there's phosphorus. And then there's this little graph that's um, basically has a bar that that goes over to very low, low, medium, high, very high. Well, it's all the way over to very high. Uh, very high for a Bray phosphorus, Bray P1 phosphorus at 35. That's not very high. Not for 300 bushel corn. No way. I'd nope. call that low. And what I would so do, you Jeff, too, that. is I'd start pulling some plant tissue analysis weekly and then you can start seeing what's showing up short in your plant that you're not able to get in there kudos to you for going for those high yields and good luck we'll be right back corn and soybean growers are in a race against time when it comes to hard to kill weeds interline herbicide from upl works fast to eliminate some of the most challenging glyphosate resistant weeds including pigweed water hemp mare's tail and ragweed Interline can be used as a burn-down treatment or as an over-the-top treatment in glufosinate-tolerant crops, including Liberty Link varieties. Ask your retailer or UPL sales representative about Interline, and always read and follow label directions. You deserve to have a building that will last for generations. With more than 110 years of experience and thousands of satisfied customers, Morton Buildings is the industry leader you can trust. Unlike other construction companies, you work with Morton Buildings craftsmen. From conception to completion, there's no better time to buy. Lock in your new building for 2020 today. Contact your local Morton sales office or visit mortonbuildings.com. Your land is a legacy, a challenge from those who tended it before you to build on their foundations. At Corteva AgriScience, we understand what it means to be the stewards of a legacy. We embrace the challenge of building on the foundation of Dow AgroSciences to maintain your trust, to bring new solutions, to help you care for your land. See how we can help build your legacy at rangeandpasture.com. Revitech fungicide from BASF has been specifically developed for the selective soybean grower who doesn't compromise. If you think good is good enough, if you're okay with just achieving rather than overachieving, if average is your goal, this is not the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide, brand new chemistry, three no excuse modes of action, zero modes of compromise. Sounds like the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide from BASF, that's smart. Always read and follow label directions. You're all set with the 4x4 turbo diesel truck. How about some options? Spray and bed liner? Absolutely. Tailgate step and nerf bars? Gotta have them. Tie down hooks and stainless steel toolbox? You know it. Tinted windows? Of course. 
Options are good. That's as true in the field as it is with your pickup. In addition to taking care of tough weeds, new Open Sky herbicide gives you more rotational choices than ever before and an easy-to-handle formulation. <laughs> Goose deck toe package? Yep. Discover more Open Sky details at openskyherbicide.com. Find your full potential and increase your bottom line with branded generic insecticides from Atticus, LLC. Unwanted insects are a nuisance, but they're no match for Serpent from Atticus. Serpent delivers economical, fast-acting, broad-spectrum control to help your corn, soybeans, and wheat crops thrive. Growers across the region count on Atticus for relevant and reliable products that deliver results every time. Ask your local retailer about Atticus products and visit AtticusLLC.com to learn more. For value-based solutions you can trust, turn to Atticus. Always read and follow label instructions. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here along with my brother Darren. We're live in the Morton studio today. If you've got a question for us or if there's anything you'd like to talk about that's going on in your farm, our number here is 844-44-AG-PHD. You can also email us, radio at agphd.com. Right before the break, we had a soil test or a few, t- few soil tests we were looking at for Jeff from Minnesota, and I didn't get a chance to finish up there, Darren. I was just going to say he had mentioned sulfur and boron. I would mention potassium because he's below 4% base saturation K, phosphorus because he's got a bunch below 50 parts per million, P1, Bray, and personally for 300 bushel corn, I'd like that to be a lot closer to 100 parts per million, but even 50 is not horrible. Uh, zinc, you got to get that in ratio, roughly 10 to 1 with phosphorus. We've been able to prove that out over time. So you're you're not there. So if you're going to be at 50, that means on the P, you got to be at 5 on the zinc, and you're you're not there. And so that's where I was saying your your soil test stuff is just very misleading because they're making you believe that you one and a half parts per million, or even 1.4 parts per million on zinc, is very high for 300 bushel corn. No way. They're they're dead wrong on that. So here's one of the things that I would encourage you to do too for anybody listening. Oh, and by the way, the last thing I'll add is copper. His copper levels are uh, less than one part per million even in spots. That's, That's not enough. We'd like to see that maybe closer to two. But anyway, for anyone listening, what I would encourage you to do, you probably already have some good data on your farm. And here, here's what we started doing a couple of years ago. We went to one-acre soil test grids. Now, you don't have to go to one-acre grids in order to get good data. But what you do have to do is soil sample a certain way. So let's say your one-acre grids or two-and-a-half or five. I don't care what it is. But whatever your, your, your grid is, whatever your grid size is, how you soil test is you put a mark in that, a GPS point in that soil test area, and you soil test right around your vehicle. So basically you drive your vehicle, whatever it is, a four-wheeler, a pickup, you drive right up to the grid point, you get out, you pull two to three cores on each side of the vehicle. So in total, you've got eight to 12 cores. It's up to you. I prefer eight. Well, I'd prefer 12, but I I can live with eight, Uh, but you can do 12, whatever you want to do, and that is how you soil test. And here's the reason why you want to do it that way. Number one is repeatability, so you can go back to that same spot, I don't care, 2,000 years from now, and you can still know, hey, I'm in the exact same spot. I can track it every single year that I do soil tests from now till forever and see how I'm really treating my soil. Am I getting better? Am I getting worse? What's going on? Here's the other reason 
that I find almost no one doing, and you should do this, seriously. And this is what we started doing a couple years ago. You have yield data, and you have yield data from that point. Match up your yield data from that point to your soil test information. So basically what we did is we put all our soil test information, all those one-acre grids, over 2,000 of them, we put them all in a spreadsheet. It's pretty simple. And then we just looked at our yield map, and granted, we had to do this manually, and it took a full day to do it each year, but it's one day. And then we had great information. And by the way, Darren and I did not do this. <laughs> One of our people did it. it. It's pretty simple. You could have your high school kid do it or whatever it is. But the point is you put down, okay, what's my yield data from the closest spot to that grid point? So I'm, you're going to be very, very close to that grid point. What's my yield data right there? And then you start looking at all this. And you can put graphs together. You can figure out then, all right, just like I, I was just saying, the phosphorus to zinc ratio. Okay, what, what's the right ratio? And you'll hear all kinds of stuff. And people will, will go, oh, I think it's this. And it's probably that. And I, look, I don't care what anybody says. I just care about my own farm. And what we found is the right ratio is about that 8 to 1 to 10 to 1 kind of ratio. If it's not that, our yield goes down. We've proven that our yield goes down when we get the ratio too high or too low. So now I have great stuff for my own farm and I can go, wow, this is awesome. I have my own data from my own farm showing me get the ratio right and my yield goes up. And so I don't have to trust anybody else. I don't have to rely on anybody else. I have my own data. That's beautiful. And now and we're data, able to raise data that you can yields. get with equipment you already have. It doesn't cost you anything. Just takes a little bit of time to to equate those things together. It's it is fantastic, and it really does give you a lot more more uh, confidence as you're putting out all these nutrients and spending this money. Like yep. you're talking about 300 bushel corn, 100 bushel soybeans. Take some investment. Take some care. Take some knowledge. Gain that knowledge this year on your farm, Jeff. It's going to help you a bunch. Thanks for the question. Got one from George here. He said. If you put paraquat and glyphosate together, won't the immediate burn down quality of paraquat inhibit the slower acting systemic glyphosate? Now, we get that question a lot too with 2,4-D and with dicamba and some of these products that people think are going to burn faster. Now, certainly, and he's absolutely 100% going to burn faster. Right. Yeah, yep. no so, question. yes. So, that's why we do not recommend typically mixing paraquat together with glyphosate. So if you heard us say paraquat and glyphosate, we were most likely saying use one or the other. You're not, we're not advising that you use both in the same tank. All right. Thanks for the question. Robert in Manitoba said, I heard you mention that it takes potash time to break down and be plant available. Yep. What if I had a 0062 water soluble potash? Would that be available faster? Uh, most likely, yes. Yep. It's just, unfortunately, it costs a lot more in many cases. But yeah, anything we can get to break down faster, that's that that's nice if you need the nutrient then and if you're not going to lose it to leaching. So yeah, in the case, here, I'll just give you an example. <laughs> and this is back, I don't remember how many years ago. This is 10, 15 years ago, something like that. We were out digging root pits 
in July. So we go into fields and we still do this and we'll dig down, let's say four or five feet with the skid steer loader. We'll just drive out into the field, wreck a little bit of corn or soybeans, and we'll dig down four or five feet. And then we've got something very visual that we can show people, our people. I mean, it's, it, it's very educational. We'll film it for the TV show, whatever. But Anyway, there was there was one year we did this, and it's a field that's in our in the same section, our home section that we're doing this radio show right now. And I just remember we we dig dig this, and I start you know digging around and looking around and everything, and I go, hey, wait a second, what, what what's this? We had strip tilled some and put some potash and phosphorus down the fall before in October, the fall before. It was July when we were digging these root pits, and I was finding potash and phosphorus at roughly 10 inches deep. Was that available to our crop this year? Not a chance in the world. That gives you an idea of we've got the type of soil we have, which is heavy, the amount of moisture we have, which is usually um, not a lot, just like we're getting this year, not a lot of moisture. So, I mean, when you're dealing with those kind of conditions, then yeah, sometimes it's two or three years for us before potash fully breaks down. That's why, generally speaking, with fertility, we talk about in our heavy soils and dry environment and cold environment, getting ahead of things. When you fall behind, it's hard to catch up. And what you then have to do is spend a lot more money to catch up. So we always put a little bit of like agroliquid, low salt fertilizer out there to feed the plant, but we don't put enough on, I'll be honest, for 300 bushel corn or anything like that. So if we'd fallen behind, we can't expect big time yields. Uh, then yeah, I could put your water soluble uh, potassium out there, but here again, it's going to cost me more money. So what we're always trying to do is figure out how we can farm as cheap as possible <laughs> I, I think that's most farmers' goal, yet still get good yields. And that's where I'm saying if you want to do that in our part of the country, our part of the world, you got to get ahead on things. Otherwise, you're in trouble. All right. Thanks for, thanks for the question. Really appreciate that. Uh, got to. Uh you got a lot, yeah, of, got questions a lot of questions yeah. to get through. Fortunately, we got a little more time. Mailbag. And if you would like to get your question in, just email us, radio at agphd.com. I'll try to speed up my answers here in the next segment. Uh, and you can also call us if you'd like to talk to us, 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. Stay tuned. We'll be right back with more of your questions in the Ag PhD mailbag next. Hey Adam, new drone? Not just any drone. I mounted a laser on it to take out weeds. Look out for that tree! In the power lines! Oh, it's in for the house. There's a simpler way to protect spring wheat from weeds. Perfect Match Herbicide. The broadest spectrum weed and grass control in one product. Learn more at perfectmatchherbicide.com. Always read and follow label directions. The laser. Oh my goodness, did you see Bob's gorgeous soybean rows? Um, totally. I couldn't believe how clean and weed-free his entire field looked. I'm like, so jealous. I heard he started using this new post-applied residual herbicide called Perpetual, and it's burned down in long-lasting residual powers, making his soybeans like literally the talk of the town. Ah, so Perpetual's his secret. Yep. Talk to your retailer or visit valent.com slash Perpetual to learn more. Always read and follow label instructions. 
Customer service goes a long way when trying something new. Ryan Shaw from Michigan shares how Soil Warrior helped him transition to strip tillage in his operation. The Soil Warrior guys, they are amazing to work with. They made this jump in this transition extremely painless. One question that I get all the time is, how is the service and everything? And I said, well, actually, I get better service from them than I typically do my dealers uptown. They're just amazing. More info at SoilWarrior.com. Downtime during spraying can lead to huge yield losses. Keep rolling with the Pentair Hypro Force Field. This pump features a unique self-regulated chamber that allows the pump to run dry while eliminating cracked seals, so you can spray longer and more reliably. Learn more at pentair.com hypro. How much money are you leaving in the bin? Get your grain in ideal condition with the Grain Temp Guard Monitoring System from Farm Shop MFG. And with deep preseason discounts on all Grain Temp Guard units, now is the best time to upgrade. Order today at farmshopmfg.com. If you're looking to get the most out of your foliar nutrition and fungicide programs, ask your ag retailer about Nutex EDA from Sipcam Agro. Nutex EDA has been proven to increase foliar micronutrient tissue levels and maintain those levels for an extended period of time. When tank mixed with fungicides, Nutex EDA helps support plant health, resulting in higher quality and yields. Nutex EDA is an affordable and effective solution that should be part of every grower's high-yield toolbox. When it comes to innovative herbicide formulations, you know New Farm. New Farm brings you Credit Extreme, the herbicide with dual salt technology that makes all the difference. Faster uptake, quicker rain fastness, and better control in variable weather, something we've all had our fair share of. When you need more powerful weed control for challenges like lamb's quarters and velvet leaf, with excellent safety to Roundup Ready crops, you need Credit Extreme. New Farm and Credit Extreme, here to help. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We are in the middle of the Ag PhD mailbag time, taking your calls and questions throughout the rest of the show at 844-44-AG-PHD. Got one from Seth in Minnesota, and he said, In the past, I always had someone else do my soil sampling, but my wife and I made a day of it, and we had a great time. We do have some pattern tile, but we've got room to add a little bit more, and I'm recently starting some strip till in the program. I was corn on corn for 10 or 12 years with farm average yields in the 200 to 230 range, but the last three years my yields have dropped. So 2020 is a restart. I'm back to a 50-50 corn soybean rotation, uh, adding some gyp soil in to boost my sulfur levels, and of course the new soil sampling and soon the new tissue sampling program for me. So he said these soil samples are pulled the end of April. All the P and K went down in the fall, some nitrogen, also some AMS in these strips. And he said he put on some starter and put on some micros that way too with the starter and just finished side dressing the rest of his N. So just wondering if you notice anything there. And then he said one thing that he did want you to notice is he also sent in a sample of his garden just to prove to other Minnesotans that it is possible to get base saturation Ks well above 4%. Originally, it was very low, and it took a lot of composted calf manure to improve it. Hey Seth, thanks for thanks for the samples that you sent us and good luck here on the program. I'll, have, I'll let Brian dive through them, but do want to say kudos to you getting your wife out there as well so she understands what's going on and probably understands it as well or even better than you do. So it's good to have somebody else that's knowledgeable to bounce things off. All right. So if you listen to the show on a regular basis, you know that we talk a lot about soil tests and the reason we do is twofold. First, 
it's other than drainage, it's the thing that you can control that will most impact yield. And the other reason we talk about it so much is it's ridiculously misunderstood. There are a lot of people that do this almost every day that don't even understand it. And it's simple. It's simple stuff. So let's just talk about a couple of basic things for, for anybody. I mean, so this is not specific to Seth here. It's anybody. You will have variability in your fields. So if you are on a composite soil test program where basically you pull soil tests all over or pull soil cores all over a 160 acre field you are wasting your money don't do that all it's going to do is now you're going to have half the field too high in fertility and half too low you're going to have have half too high in ph and half too low so i mean you're you're not helping yourself at all you're probably hurting yourself here's just a good example so and this is in one of his fields and this is just a few grid points over. My, I don't know exactly how he has his stuff uh, together here. But anyway, the, the point is this. He's got an 8.1 pH. And by the way, he has 5.8 pH all the way up to 8.1 pH on the soil test that he sent us. Do you want to treat a 5.8 pH where you should lime? The same as an 8.1 pH where you shouldn't even dream about putting lime on. Would you want to treat those the same? No way. But anyway, here's my point. <laughs> If you look at the phosphorus, this is this is my best example. 8.1 pH, because the pH is high, we look at the Olson test, that's available phosphorus, 17 parts per million. Okay, Then we look just, I mean, on the same page, same field, everything. He's got one spot that's 6.5 pH and 111 parts per million of P2, 54 parts per million P1. So phosphorus levels dramatically higher in certain areas of his field. The point is, could you spread the same rate of phosphorus across the entire field? You sure could, but here's what's going to end up happening. So where he's got the 54 parts per million of available phosphorus, and he looks at some of his other spots and he goes, ooh, I got 11 or 12 or 17. I desperately need phosphorus. If he applies it across the whole field, here's what's going to happen. He's going to raise his phosphorus a whole bunch, and he's going to go, well, I think my zinc is okay, and it is okay for a low level of phosphorus, but where he's already got high phosphorus, he's going to bump it even higher, and he's going to get his ratio so out of whack that his yield is is potentially going to go down. <laughs> so we can't do that. That's not wise. What we're trying to do all the time with these soil tests and why we talk about them so much is we just want you to invest your fertilizer dollars wisely. We're not saying you have to spend more, but we want you to spend them in the right way so you don't hurt your yield by spending money. That's the worst possible scenario. The number one thing that I would see, I would say with his soil test that I see, other than, yes, he's really low in spots in phosphorus, almost everything is low in potassium. He's at 2%, maybe 3% on base saturation K. It's way too low. That number's got to get up above 4 or you're going to continue to have yield loss there. The other thing is, with the secondary and micronutrients, they're bad. Sulfur, you have nothing. Um, zinc isn't horrible. Um, it, it's it's low, but it's not horrific. Uh, manganese is terrible. Your iron is even a little low in spots. Your copper is low. Your boron is low. So, you know, I realize you're probably focused on NP and K. 
And there are some spots that are okay in phosphorus, some spots close on K, but you've got almost no spots that are okay on sulfur or copper or boron or manganese. So I'd be looking at at least investing a few dollars there to start bumping those up, working your way up. And then you should be in good shape long term. All right. Thanks for the questions and all the soil tests. And again, uh, congratulations to you getting going on that program. You're going to like it. It's going to change the way you farm. All right. Got this one from Danny. And he said, hey, wonder if you guys have any tricks up your sleeve for raising pH in crop in season. This is a new seeded alfalfa field. The customer that I work with oh. took some soil samples and... Well. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. I was going to jump right in. Go ahead. And combine the field with another one. So we didn't think pH was an issue until the alfalfa started coming up. Just wondering what we could do and if we could do something through chemigation. Um, uh, no. What I would probably do is I'd just go out there and spread lime right now. Uh, so I would cut the, right after a cutting, I would get out there and I would spread lime. And I might be uh, a little, a lot careful on what kind of rate I'm using. But here's the thing. The pH is five and a half to six. That's terrible for alfalfa. Alfalfa really needs the pH to be up near seven, especially over 6.5. Otherwise you suffer big time in terms of, uh, of a yield and tonnage hit. So yeah, if it was me, I'd go spread uh, spread lime. That's going to help solve your problem for the long term because that's a long term deal. Otherwise, could you put some calcium out there through the pivot? Sure, you could. Would that help a little bit? Sure, it would. But it's going to be more expensive. Uh, so, I mean, that's kind of what you've got to weigh out. And I realize, you know, if it's a, a big truck or a, a big spreader and you're worried about destroying your alfalfa that's tough. You're in a tough spot, but at least it's not a really tall crop that you'd have to destroy by completely by running the machine out there. Hopefully the tracks aren't too bad. Hopefully you don't do too much damage that way, but that'd be my preference would be to broadcast spread line. All right. Uh, let's jump back to the phone lines. We've got Zane calling in from Wisconsin. Hey Zane, how are you? Oh, not too bad. Great. I hear you get a question about uh, copper. Yes, uh, you were talking about it before. I have a lot of pen pen manure now spread. And if you could get my copper levels up, would it hurt to go out there and spread a couple hundred pounds in the building before I go and spread it? Or uh, wouldn't that work or not? Or I don't know. I'm just wondering. Oh, you're saying put copper into the manure before you spread the manure. Yeah, because I used to have police <laughs> use copper sulfate for hairy wart and stuff like that with dairy cattle. Yep. And I don't got that problem around the farm no more. But I was just wondering if I went and took uh, 200 pounds of copper sulfate, spread it across the building before I hauled it out, out to the field. Okay. I, I understand where you're going with that. I would have concerns about it because the, the challenge here is you might want to raise your copper levels in the field one part per million. That's literally two pounds over an acre, which is 43, over 43,000 square feet. So um, my concern would be if you get hot spots with this copper that you put in your building, and now all of a sudden you might have a spot in the field that gets 50 pounds, or an acre that gets 50 pounds and another acre that gets a quarter pound. So I just, I would worry that you're going to do it accurately. What I would rather see you do is put it together in your sprayer with something else. Now we spray it all by itself just uh, to make sure we don't have any mixing issues or anything like that, but it could potentially be combined with something else. That kind of answer your question? 
Yep. Okay. Uh, I was just kind of wondering. Yep. All right, thanks. Yep. Bye. Yeah, that that would be tough. That would be a little risky in my book. Yeah, especially when it's something that you need such a small amount of, relatively speaking, in your field. You really don't want to way overdo that because it's going to take you a long, long time to use that backup. It's a great question, though, Zane. We do get a lot of questions about micros, and and getting them spread accurately is probably the number one concern that we've got. Thanks for listening to our show today. Really appreciate all the questions that came in, too. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio. Now stay tuned for Rob Sharkey and Shark Farmer Radio.